Well, howdy, gentlemen. Good to have you all with us. We are very honored to get together every week. And if you're a new guy, you're surrounded with the best guys. And so here's how it works at Real Men. Uh, on the weekends, I do a long sermon. And then on Wednesday night, I do another one. And uh, the way the second sermon works is it's really a leadership pivot and a talk just for men. And I always like to say that we're here to build men up. We're not here to beat men up. And that's why we're here. So where we find ourselves going through the book of Romans, we're in Romans chapter nine. And I want to pull one big theme out. And that is that raising sons is raising nations. Raising sons is raising nations. How many of you have sons? No sons, okay, many of you guys do. I've got three boys. My oldest son is 21, just got married. My next son is 19, he's in college. My next son is 15, and it was a big week for him. He's now taller than me. So I'm, I'm, I've officially moved my way into the front row of my Christmas card. I'm, I'm no longer in the back row. And being taller than me is not a really big deal, but when you're 15, it's pretty good. So all my boys now are, are bigger than me and I'm looking up to them. And, and when the boys are little, you're trying to think, okay, God, who are they? What's the destiny you have for them? What's the path you have for them? What kind of men will they be? And I always like to say, it takes more faith to raise boys than girls, amen? How many of you look at a daughter and you're like, I could see a mature wife and mother. And you look at a son, you're like, I see a terrorist. You know, I see, <laughs> I see nothing but trouble. It takes a lot of faith to raise a boy. But it, one of the great honors and blessings in my life is raising our five kids in general, but seeing my, my three boys in particular. And what we see in uh, Romans chapter nine is God's perspective on how he likes to work through multiple generations of men in families. And a lot of times the Bible is critique for this, that the Bible is patriarchal. It talks about fathers and their sons and their grandsons and the culture would critique that, but God would honor that. And so that's what we're gonna learn today in Romans chapter nine, how raising sons is raising nations. Romans nine, six through 13. I'll just read it to you and then we'll spend some time on it. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. So the question is, God worked through the Jewish people, but all the Jewish people don't love Jesus who is their God, did something go wrong? He says, no, for not who, all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because there is offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He's saying we have physical and spiritual descendants of father Abraham, I'll unpack this. This means that it is not the children of the flesh, those who are just born, who are the children of God, but the children of the promise, those who are born again spiritually are counted as offspring. For this uh, is what the promise said, about this time next year, I'll return and Sarah, that's Abraham's wife, shall have a son and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, so just to point it out, we're then two generations in, Abraham, his son is Isaac, and then we're gonna talk about his two sons, Isaac's two sons, who are Abraham's two grandsons. They were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. We dealt with some of that a few weeks ago, but here's the big idea. Generation one is a man named Abraham. He's the first believer in his family. Uh, I hit this a few weeks ago, but his dad was a non-Christian. So how many of you, you're like Abraham, your dad was a non-Christian, non-believer, okay? You grew up, your dad was not a believer. And so that was Abraham. His dad was not a believer. 
and was actually a pagan godless man, probably involved in the building of the Tower of Babel. So Abraham doesn't have a believing father, doesn't come from a believing household. And then the story is not that Abraham was looking for God, but that God was looking for Abraham. And not that Abraham even knew who God was, but God knew who Abraham was. And not that Abraham was on this quest, that ultimately God was on this quest to find Abraham. And then God shows up in Abraham's life and he becomes a believer. To use our language, he gets saved. He gets born again, okay? So how many of you, if you're really honest, that's kind of your story. God just kind of showed up. You weren't necessarily looking for him. He just showed up. And this is the real good news about God is that it doesn't matter where you are, God can find you. It doesn't matter what you've done, God can forgive you. And it doesn't matter how far you have strayed, God can always pursue you. That's the good news. Because if it was dependent on us finding God, there would be no hope. If it's dependent on God finding us, there is great hope. So he has an unbelieving father and then Abraham becomes the first generation believer in his family. How many of you were first generation believer in your family? You were the first one, okay? So you're in Abraham's position. You're coming from an unbelieving home and now you're the first believer. And then what God promised him is that he would have a son and that through that son would come a whole nation of sons the nation of Israel, and through that nation of sons would come the son of God to save the nations. His name is Jesus Christ. So the whole importance of Abraham is, I'm gonna give you a son, he's gonna have sons, they're gonna have more sons. Eventually, God's son, Jesus Christ, is going to come into human history through this really bizarre, unique, unusual family. And so then Abraham can't have a kid because he and his wife are elderly and she's very barren. So how many of you older guys are in the room and you're, you're, those years are in the rear view mirror? Right? You're, you're, not, you're not really worried about having a kid in diapers. You're, you're more worried about your own diapers. You're kind of in that phase. You're in that phase, okay? So Abraham and Sarah, they're in that phase. Uh, they're in the AARP. They don't have their birth teeth. They're, they're there, okay? They're there. And then they wait decades to have the son that God promised and then eventually God fulfills his promise and they have the birth of a son named Isaac. His name means laughter because God always gets the last laugh. And he gets two elderly people at the senior citizens home who are walking around in a walker eating jello. He, he gives them a baby because God's, God's fun. And so what he does, he gives them a baby named Isaac. So now you're looking at Abraham, Isaac. How many of you are in the position of Isaac? You're the, you're, your dad was a believer. Any of that you? Okay. So some of you, you're like Abraham. You're like, my dad wasn't a believer, so I'm first generation believer. Some of you are like Isaac. You're, you're not first generation believer. Your dad did know and love the Lord and you inherited the faith of your father. So uh, this would be uh, my story. My dad is a believer. He loves Jesus and I, I love my dad. And so I, I'm not the first link in the proverbial chain. That would be my dad and then I'm his son, and then I've got his son. So my dad would be more in Abraham's position, I would be in Isaac's position. And it says here, then there was Abraham, and he has Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, twin boys in the womb. And these boys start fighting in the womb. If you've got a brother, you know how this goes. If you have a brother, you fought with him, amen? 
Okay? And, and if you've really fought with your brother, that's what these brothers did. They started fighting in their mother's womb. This is the story in Genesis. And then ultimately she could see there's a lot of activity. All of a sudden her womb is, you know, got turnbuckles and it's like WWE with these two boys in her belly. And so she prays to the Lord. She's asking, what's going on in here? And God gives supernatural divine revelation. How many of you, you've, you've had a wife and she was pregnant and God told her some stuff that he didn't tell you, okay? Just so you know, this is how it works. Uh, God sometimes reveals supernatural things to and through the wife. And God says, there are two sons in your womb. From them will come two nations. Because to raise boys is to raise nations, okay? To raise boys is to raise generations. That's the moral of the story. And they're gonna fight and the older will serve the younger. That God's going to invert his typical birthright and the son who is born second will be ruling in the position of firstborn. And so they're fighting all the way through the birth. And literally as Esau is born, he's the firstborn, Jacob has got him by the heel. They're literally fighting on the way out of the birth canal to see which one will be the firstborn. So they're fighting and arguing. So then ultimately Esau is born first, Jacob is born second. So now we go Abraham, believing father. So there was Terah, he was the unbelieving great-grandfather. Then Abraham, he becomes the first generation believer. Isaac is his son, second generation believer. Then comes Jacob and Esau, the next generation of believer or unbeliever. The decision needs to be made. We're at generation number three, generation number three. And these two boys are very different. So Esau means hairy and also can mean red. Okay, so he's a hairy redhead. And if you're a hairy redhead, Esau's a terrible guy. We'll pray for you, we're sorry. And so uh, Jacob, his name means trickster. How many of you had a brother that he was always cheating, manipulating, conniving, always winning, setting you up, getting you in trouble? That's him, okay, all right, testify, brother. Um, and so ultimately these boys are always conflicted. And one of the fatal flaws that happens in the family, and it's a fatal flaw in most of the generations of the family in Genesis, they play favorites. If you want to ruin your family, play favorites. Okay, and, and, and let me just say this, it's almost as if we assume this in our culture and it's part of the reason why our culture is so broken, okay? And so in some families, well, you were moms and I was dads or vice versa. The mom and dad need to be one, they need to be united, and then ultimately they need to love and care for and be committed to all of the children the same. So let's have an honest conversation as men, fathers, grandfathers, what are some of the reasons that you might favor one child over another? They like you. <laughs> so there's a testimony from someone who's had children. Every once in a while, there's one that doesn't like you very much. You're like, I like the one that likes me. The one that doesn't like me, I don't like as much. True or false, this can be a particular issue in a blended family. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. okay. Other reasons why you may prefer why you may have a preference for one child over another. They're, they're the good kid. They get good grades, you don't. They do their chores, you don't. They obey, you don't. They're sober and, <laughs> you know, and, and so sometimes it's like, why can't you be like your brother or sister? And we like them, we don't like them. And the moral of the story is we would like you if you were like them. 
And that immediately sets up adversity, acrimony, conflict between the siblings. Oh, I'm the good one, you're the bad one. And what could happen is then stereotypes can get cemented in your life. Well, you were the smart one, I was the dumb one. You were the good one, I was the bad one. You were the cute one, I was the ugly one. And it can set this godless identity that is immovable and as a result can really haunt you for the rest of your life. And sometimes we struggle with this because even when we get back together with our family, they wanna shove us back into our old role, right? So you can be 50 years old. They're like, you're the dumb one. You're like, I graduated a long time ago. And where I was is not where I am. Other reasons why we might prefer or play favorites with one child over the other. They're just like me. Who doesn't love one just like me? Right? They're, they're cute like me, they're smart like me. They, they think like I think, they like what I like and they do what I wanna do. They're, they're like a little version of me. This other one's weird. They're like their, their mom. This one though, this, this one's how they should be. And sometimes it's even the firstborn, we get so used to the first kid that we assume that all the kids are gonna be like that. How many of you have had more than one child and you realize they're totally different? They're totally different. Other reasons why we might play favorites or prefer one over the other? They're the, they're the opposite of me, that's the honest answer. You're like, actually I annoy myself and they're not like me, I like them. How many of you, you really like your spouse, like I really like my spouse, and if their personality or their disposition is more like your spouse, you really like them because they're like your spouse. There are all these practical reasons why we could prefer or play favorites with one child over another. But let me just say, those are sins to be guarded against. And if the child senses that, what does that do to the child? It, it creates this sense of rejection that's very unhealthy and it leads to conflict between the children. And some of you, the reasons you've had so much conflict with your siblings, your parents played favorites. They set you up in an adversarial way. And even decades later, you can still be having those sibling rivalries and or conflicts. So that's what happens. Jacob, he's mama's boy. Esau is daddy's boy. Esau, man's man, super tough. I said it a few weeks ago, drives a truck, wears boots, carries a sidearm, only eats what he can kill, watches cage fighting, big fan of Jason Aldean, and has accepted Liam Neeson in his heart. Okay, that's Esau. Jacob, huge fan of Yentl, anything done by Barbara Streisand, <laughs> cries at every Lifetime holiday movie, wears Crocs with socks, where, drives a fuchsia Prius, um, and, and he thinks that Elton John is really the model for manhood. So these two guys, <laughs> hey man, I, I don't, I just tell the truth. That's my job, right? And, and like, and if, and if you've got sequins, you've got issues. Okay, so, so, so the way this works, they're very different. Mom prefers one, dad prefers the other, okay? And ultimately what happens one day, Jacob is home uh, with his mom and then Esau comes home and he's hungry. And Jacob the trickster offers a deal to Esau and he tells him, I'll trade you your birthright for soup, for soup, okay? How many of you guys are in your 20s, okay, okay? All you young guys, remember this. If you don't have self-control and you can't practice delayed gratification, 
you will ruin generations of your family. Okay? What are the things that men tend to make impulsive, urgent decisions that don't practice patience or delayed gratification that get them in lots of long-term trouble? Let's be honest, what are those things? Sometimes it's spending. You're like, I just want that, whether it be a car, a boat, a hobby, a house. If you don't understand patience, delayed gratification and self-control, you can get yourself into some very, very, very significant financial pain very quickly. How many of you guys are shocked how quickly you can rack up debt? It happens really fast. They send you your first credit card as soon as you're a teenager and you have no idea what to do with it, right? In addition, there are other things that men in particular, and this is true for all men, but it's particularly true for young men, things that we need to have some patience, some delayed gratification. What are those things? Sex, Sex. we can be honest. We can be honest. Because there are many guys that wanna have a good time, but they're not thinking about a good legacy. They're thinking about how to have a, a, a great night and not have godliness for five generations. Okay, and let me say this, um, I'll be totally honest with you young men, as long as you cross physical sexual lines with a woman, especially in a dating relationship, you have lost your moral authority to lead. A lot of guys are like, well, we're two consenting adults and everybody does it. And I'd say, oh, everybody's stupid. So that's not a good argument. Guys are like, what's the big deal? The big deal is this, you are to be the loving head and leader of your family. And if you don't have self-control and delayed gratification, you will lose your moral authority, your God-given moral authority to lead in the relationship because you can't look at the girl and say, honey, God says, she's like, what do you mean God says? We're naked, you can't quote verses now, right? Rock, paper, scissors, naked girlfriend. You can't quote verses. You can't quote verses if you're sleeping with me. You can't quote verses if you're crossing sexual lines with me. You're, you're losing your moral authority. And you're gonna need that moral authority so that you can lovingly lead your family into the purposes of God. Okay, how many of you guys are a little bit older, you don't have to raise your hand, but you, you crossed some lines and you lost your authority to lead under God's direction. And it has caused a lot of pains and problems in your marriage because your wife doesn't respect you because you don't respect God and she doesn't follow you because you don't follow God and she doesn't honor you because you don't follow God. And you're looking at God going, God, why is it such a mess? And he's like, this is the mess you've made. You had a good time, but you didn't have a good plan. You were working on a good experience, but not a good legacy, okay? And other things that men can do to make short-term, short-sighted decisions that feel really good, but the long-term pain and price point is far too much to bear. Drugs, alcohol, partying. Your buddy's called, let's go. You're like, okay, that, that could be fun tonight, but we always know it's not fun the next morning. And we always know that some of the things you've said or done are not going to be beneficial to your long-term future. And so as men, you need to know that your passions and pleasures are things that you need to have dominion over as a man, okay? That you can't just eat what you wanna eat, drink what you wanna drink, and then sleep with who you wanna sleep with, or watch what you wanna watch, or say what you wanna say. And sometimes men believe this myth that we're highly evolved animals. You're not highly evolved animals, you're the image bearers of God. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You're not animals, you're men. 
And God didn't make you to act like animals. Animals don't have a conscience. Animals don't have investments. Animals are not thinking about generations and legacies. Animals are not thinking about what this will do to their great grandkids. Animals just eat and kill and do whatever they wanna do. And you're not animals, you're the sons of God. Okay, you're the sons of God. So Jacob gives him this offer. I'll trade you the birthright for the soup. What does Esau decide? I'll take the soup. And you know what? We could look at Esau and we can judge him, but the truth is at certain points, we've all been him, right? I mean, there are guys in this room, if we're honest, you're like, I had a great girlfriend. I cheated on her. I blew the whole thing up and that was stupid. And that didn't make any sense. And it felt good for 15 minutes and I lost my dream girl. There are guys in here who's like, I have a good wife, not perfect, but if I worked on it, we could have a good marriage. Instead, I wandered outside of my marriage, blew the whole thing up. It's either over or we're trying to get all the toothpaste back in the tube. But that one decision has caused a lot of pain and problems. We do this with pornography. We do this with alcohol. We do this with drugs. We do this with spending. We do this with gambling. And that is the sad, tragic tale of Esau. He's a guy who just chooses whatever feels best in the moment. And if you're a guy, you cannot always choose what is going to feel best in the moment because rarely does that inevitably lead you into the will of God, okay? So this is one of the things that we've got to teach our sons. You want something, save money for it. Uh, you want to sleep with a gal, that's not a, that's not a bad idea. You're gonna to need to uh, grow up, get a job, move out of my house, meet a girl, walk in God's will, and then you get to be intimate with her. So I'm not against this. The question is, how do you arrive at that place? Do you take the path that God has assigned to you or do you try and find a shortcut that God will not bless? Because when you take a shortcut, it's a shortcut that is not honoring God. Therefore, God will not honor those decisions or bless that man. So the way I always like to say it here is God doesn't bless men, God blesses men who are under his word, okay? If you wanna be blessed, live under God's word. God is far more likely to help you if you are a son who is seeking to obey your father. How many of you have a kid? And if your kid comes to you and says, okay, dad, I wanna do the right thing, can you help me? Answer, yeah. Dad, I wanna do the wrong thing and I want you to just cover my tracks. Answer, no, we can't do that. God's a father, you're a son, he loves you. But once you stray out from obedience to his word, you're leaving the place of blessing. This doesn't mean that you can never be blessed. It means you need to return to the place that God blesses. Amen. Okay, I'm not telling you I'm the greatest guy in the world and I, I've made my fair share of mistakes and problems. But I live a, I, I feel, I, I just feel incredibly blessed if I can be honest with you. I got an incredible wife. I love with all my heart. She's my favorite person on planet earth. We don't have a perfect relationship because I'm involved. Okay, that's the real variable in our marriage. I got great kids that I love with all my heart and they're not perfect, but we have good relationship and we work stuff through as it comes up. God's been very generous to me in every single way. And, uh, and it's not because I'm good and it's not because I deserve it. It's because God is gracious and inasmuch as I've sought to live under his word, I found his blessing, okay? And here's what I have found. When I stray away from his word, I walk away from his blessing. And so what, what God's word says is, Esau, you're the firstborn. 
The rights of the firstborn include the legal oversight of the family estate, the business, the ownership of the property, the disbursement of the inheritance, and you are the head of the household and the family, the extended family for the next generation. Everything is tied together. So that's God's word. And here's what he says, I don't care. That Esau literally walks away from the blessing that God would have for the firstborn. And what he says is, I don't care about God. I don't care about God's will, word, or way. I don't care about God's blessing. I'll take the soup, okay? But let's just be honest, men. At some point, we've all taken the soup. Can we just be honest? It's, it's, it's one thing to look at Esau and go, that's a dumb guy. Well, every guy's a, a dumb guy. Every guy's Esau at some point. And we've all been there. We, we, we choose something in an instant or a moment, and then the Holy Spirit who dwells within us brings us to conviction as Jesus promised. And you're like, why did I choose that pleasure? That was a little bit of pleasure and now a lot of pain, a lot of guilt and a lot of grief, a lot of shame and a lot of sadness and a lot of sorrow, and perhaps even some suffering. Okay? And we do this all the time. The hard part of the story of Jacob and Esau is these are not one good boy and one bad boy, it's two bad boys. But it's one bad boy who does have faith and does practice some measure of repentance and one bad boy who has no faith and does not demonstrate signs of repentance. So what happens is Jacob uh, usurps Esau. So Terah, Abraham, Isaac, unbeliever, two generations of believers, two sons, question, will it be believer, believer, unbeliever, unbeliever, or believer, unbeliever? How's this gonna play itself out? Esau decides unbeliever, doesn't care about God. Jacob then becomes the leader of the family and God blesses him and works through him. What happens then is that each boy grows up to be a nation. This is the storyline of the Bible, okay? For those of you that are my nerd friends, Esau grows up to be what nation? Edom, the Edomites. You can look at it, it's in the Bible. You look at Edom and the Edomites, those are the descendants of Esau. Are they godly or godless people? They're godless. They're just like their old man. They're just like their old man. They don't care about God. They don't wanna be with the rest of the extended family. They don't wanna live under God's blessing. They don't wanna do what God says a whole nation for generations and hundreds of years. Out of Isaac comes another nation. My nerd friends, what nation is that? Israel. So when you read the Old Testament, you're like, why does it keep talking about all these wars between these nations? It started as a war between brothers in a womb that ended up with nations on a battlefield, okay? Here's what I'm telling you, to raise a son is to raise a nation. Our nation doesn't know this, which is why our nation is crumbling. Our nation has no concept of raising sons, let alone raising sons to be nations, okay? So like at the end of Genesis, uh, there's this family that descends from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are enslaved, uh, excuse me, they are impoverished, eventually they're enslaved. And so they go seek refuge in a nation called um, Egypt. And then the storyline picks up in the book of Exodus. By the time they are released from the book of Exodus, the same family that descends from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has gone from around 70 people 
to a few million because sons become nations, okay? Let me tell you this, coming behind you is a nation, maybe a small nation, maybe a big nation, but coming behind you is a nation and that nation will be led by the men. And oftentimes those men follow the men who came before them. The good news is if you are walking in God's will, they might follow you as a nation to walk in God's will. If you don't walk in God's will, they might follow you as a nation for generations not walking in God's will. That's the story of Jacob and Esau. And oftentimes as men, when we make our decisions, we're not thinking of generations, legacy and consequence, amen? How many of you, your dad made decisions and he didn't even factor you in the equation. He didn't even think about what would happen to the family or the generations. Um, my dad's got more than 20 grandkids. I mean, I, I went to public school. I'm not gonna run a lot of numbers and do the math, but if this continues for generations, guess what my dad's gonna have? He's gonna have a nation. I got five kids. I think we're gonna add 20 something grandkids just, just through my side. I got, I'm the oldest of five. I mean, at this point, if he has 20 plus grandkids, he could have a hundred great grandkids. My dad could live long enough. He's in good health. He's just in his early seventies. He could live long enough for sure to see his great grandkids. My dad literally could take a photo with a small nation that comes from him and then add some generations to it, add hundreds of years to it. Behind you men are coming nations. And those nations are likely going to follow you either in obedience to God or in disobedience to God. Now, everybody's responsible for their own decisions, but we're responsible to set a good example. And so this conflict between the boys that started in the womb, it then led to conflict between nations and it continued all the way up to the day of Jesus. This is how crazy it is. Herod is a king who tries to murder Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promise that through Abraham would come a son who would come sons, that would come a nation that would bring forth Jesus Christ, the son of God to save the nations. So Herod, the king is trying to kill him. Herod is a descendant of Esau. The fight in the womb continued all the way until hundreds of years later with the birth of Jesus Christ. The problem is, that sometimes the conflict in our families, if it's not resolved, can go to generations. And what started as a conflict between two brothers ends up with a massacre between two nations. Edom is mentioned, the descendants of Esau, about a hundred times in the Bible. So about a hundred times. Never anything good. Never anything good. Hardly anything of them is mentioned outside of the Bible because they're not significant in history. Their only significance is in opposition to God's people. They are strong enough that when God's people are released in the days of the Exodus, they have to walk around the nation of Edom because it's still hostile hundreds of years later. And David went to war with the Edomites and he killed 10,000 men. It's just amazing. Here's what I'm telling you. Satan might have a clearer picture of your future and your family than you do. And he may have a plan 
to harm and destroy your family, and you need to have a plan to bless and to lead your family. Ultimately, the story of Edom is a tragic one. Um, He has prophesied, the nation of Edom is prophesied against in the books of Isaiah, Obadiah, Ezekiel, Amos, and Malachi. Many of the Old Testament prophets are prophesying God's judgment on the nation of Edom, the descendants of Esau, okay? So today, is there a nation of Edom? No, it all came to an end. Now those descendants and people are somewhere, but is there a nation of Israel? Yes. Yes. So when all is said and done, the unbelieving line is gone and the believing line continues. I'm not saying that all of the nation of Israel are believers, but Jesus Christ is the descendant and the promise of Abraham. And our faith is in the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason that we're meeting men and the reason why this is so sacred, I want you to grow. And I want, first of all, I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That the only thing stronger is a man, is the, is the God man, Jesus Christ. The, the most immovable thing in this planet is a man. And the only thing stronger than a man is God who became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone has the ability to change, to forgive, to heal, to bless, and to lead a man. So the only hope for a man is a better man, and that's Jesus. So my first hope is that you would know and love the Lord Jesus. He died for you, he rose for you. He is available to you. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what Paul is saying in Romans nine, if you trust in him, you are then spiritually adopted into this great family and you get the full inheritance as a son. And here's the good news, God doesn't play any favorites. He's gonna love you as much as he does Jesus Christ. And he loves all the sons as much as he loves his own son. That's really good news for us. For some of you, I I, I do want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about things that need to change and maybe ways that you are Esau. You're like, yeah, when given a temptation or a pleasure, I make very bad short-term decisions or I've already done that. And now I'm paying the price and dealing with the consequences of that. But ultimately, one of the things that will keep a man from making short-term decision is to have long-term view. So I uh, don't really use notes, it's kind of verbal process, but um, I met my wife March 12th, uh, 1988. We recently celebrated 33 years together since our first date, okay? Um, I, I can tell you, I have been faithful to my wife since the day we met. and. Part of it was, I I love the Lord and I love grace, but also I know that the decisions that I make are going to affect our kids and our grandkids for generations. And if you're a man who has sinned, God can forgive you. He can heal that. He can bring death out of life. If we know anything, even if it's dead, God can bring it back to life. So I'm not here to judge you. But when God gave me my firstborn daughter, Ashley, who I love with all my heart and just hung out with today and she runs real faith for me, I just remember thinking, I read the Bible with her, I pray with her, I, I, uh, I adore her, she trusts me. And if I betrayed her mother, I would break all my trust with her. Furthermore, I would break her trust with men. Men, because if you can't trust your dad, who can you trust? And if you can't trust your dad and he's your pastor, you can't trust anybody. And I remember one night, my, uh, my little girl, I was tucking her in bed and I was praying for her and kissed her on the head and singing songs and reading the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I remember it just hit me. 
Someday this little girl is gonna get married. And the decisions I make are gonna determine the kind of woman that she becomes and the kind of man that she marries. And then someday, I prophesy this, she's gonna give me grandbabies. Okay, so we're, we're halfway there, she is married. And those grandbabies, their life is gonna be affected very much so by the kind of man I am and the kind of decisions I make. And I started thinking, I wonder how many generations of my family I will see and get to know. I mean, will I get to see my grandkids? Will I get to see my great grandkids? What starts as me and my wife and the Lord Jesus ends up being at some point, our version of a little nation that over generations becomes a big nation. Here's what I'm telling you. This world doesn't need better government. It needs better men. This world doesn't need better therapists as much as it needs better men. This world doesn't need a better economy as much as it needs better men. And the best way for men to become better men is to think as far down the road as they are able in the grace of God to see and to make generations, not just for their life, but for their legacy, okay? And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Now, for some of you guys, this can be very discouraging because you're like, I've already made bad decisions. I got saved later in life. You know what you need to do? You need to go to those people and just apologize and repent and ask their forgiveness. Try and put some grace on it and own it. Try and free them up so that maybe they can pursue a better future by the grace of God. And if you're a man who struggles with condemnation, we already learned in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to coach you so that you can have a life and a future. And the whole context of Romans 9 and 10 is it's predestination or predestinating. What that means is God has a destiny for you. And what we see here is he keeps bringing up fathers and sons and, and grandsons is that destiny actually in God's heart is oftentimes multi-generational that God's destiny is not just for you. He has a destiny for your kids and your grandkids. And I don't know what that is, but I know that God would reveal that to you. So let me close with uh, two things. Um, the number one need that all of our kids have is not just to be born into a good family, but to be born again into God's family. It's the number one need. If you're gonna pray for anything, long for anything, if you're gonna, if you're gonna strive for anything, it would be that not just that your children are born into a good home, but they're born again into God's home. And sometimes as men, we think if I could just give them more money than I had, if I could get them a better education than I had, let me tell you what they need the most, the spirit of God. The most important thing that everyone needs, starting with the kids, our kids, is the spirit of God. Because Jacob is an illustration of a child that has the spirit of God. And Esau is an illustration of a child that doesn't have the spirit of God. They marry out of that. They parent out of that. They grandparent out of that. They govern out of that. They invest out of that. And now whole nations are architected either by someone who has the spirit of God or someone who does not. And the result is life versus death, blessing versus cursing. That's the consequence. And so oftentimes as dads, we're thinking so much about, you know, how much inheritance will I leave them? How much square footage will they grow up in? What school will they go to? Uh, what kind of income can I provide? What kind of vacations can I afford? Let me tell you this, the most important thing that you need and they need is the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, you have what you need. And if you have everything else and you don't have the Spirit of God, you do not have what you need. Number two, faith 
follows fathers. Faith follows fathers. Esau is a demonstration of a man who has no faith. And guess what? To this day, his descendants, for the most part, no faith. Isaac is our father in the faith and Abraham was his father and our father in the faith. And I've shared with you this before. I'll just, I'll close with this. Every single sociological data study says, if dad goes to church and walks with Jesus, so do the kids. And if dad doesn't go to church or walk with Jesus, the kids don't. And some of you say, what about mom? I love mom. We love mom. We honor mom. But ultimately the men are the leaders. They are the leaders and the children follow the father. And ultimately the daughters choose husbands like their father and the boys become men like their father. So let me just say, I wanna honor you men. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the tremendous honor of being your pastor. Thank you for trying as much as I am able to try and be a little bit of a spiritual father. And I hope that you sense the father's heart in me. The reason I'm here every week is because you matter to God and you matter to me. The reason that I'm here every week is there is great hope for you because the father's heart is for you. And I know that some of you come from some great homes. So you're the third or fourth link in the chain and we want you to be strong and to continue that. And some of you are first link in the chain and you're just figuring it out. And some of you are a weak link in the chain and we wanna strengthen you up. And some of you are broken link in the chain and the Holy Spirit wants to weld you back. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put you around tables to pray together. Who is the patriarch or first link in your family's line of faith? Number two, are you a strong, weak, or broken link in your family's line of faith? Number three, how can you strengthen the links near you in your family's line of faith? Maybe your dad's not doing good. Maybe your son's not doing good. Uh, maybe your daughter's not doing good. How can we pray for you and the weak and broken links in your family's line of faith? And I'll pray for you now. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to teach and the honor it is to love and to lead the men. And Lord, I have great hope uh, for these men, because I know who their father is. Their father in heaven is great. And I know who their big brother is. The Lord Jesus Christ has blessing for them. And God, I pray that from these men will come nations, generations that love and follow and serve the Lord Jesus, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that continue a legacy of faith, and God, I can just feel the burden in some of these men's hearts. Their kids are prodigal or wayward. Um, uh, their grandkids are prodigal or wayward. Uh, Father God, I don't wanna condemn these men, but I wanna encourage these men to love, to pursue, to lead, to pray for, to share with, to not give up on those who share their last name. And uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you that long after we're gone from this earth, long after we're gone. And some of these older men, they, they could see that on the not too distant horizon. That Lord God, there could be people, uh, physical and spiritual sons and daughters who love the Lord Jesus and carry on a legacy of faith. And God, we just sit here kind of in awe because we're part of Abraham's family by faith, Isaac's family by faith, Jacob's family by faith because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that that would work uh, through us to reach other generations. And God, I pray for the children that are represented by the men in the room. I pray for the children that are not yet born, that'll be born to the men in this room. 
And I pray for the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren like Jonathan Edwards, I pray for five generations of their family. And Lord God, I pray that we would see massive faithfulness because our God is faithful and we trust you by faith in Jesus' good name. Amen.